unconventional space robots with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to the Robohub podcast. Today we will be learning about an unconventional robot. The NASA Innovative Advanced Concepts, or NIAC program, provides funding for visionary ideas to support creative breakthroughs which could transform future missions. One of these ideas is called ReachBot, and this is a long-reach crawling and anchoring robot, which essentially repurposes extendable booms for mobile manipulation. In this episode, our interviewer Lily speaks to Stephanie Snyder, a PhD researcher who works on ReachBot and has worked on other NIAC programs. Schneider shares her views and experience of designing and prototyping unconventional robots. Hi, welcome to the RoboHub podcast. Would you mind introducing yourself? Hi, my name is Stephanie Schneider. I'm a PhD candidate uh, at Stanford University. I'm a member of the Autonomous Systems Lab under Marco Pavone in the Aero Astro Department at Stanford. Awesome. And have you always known that you sort of wanted to get into aeroastro and do robotics and that kind of thing? No, I I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I have always been interested in space from like watching rocket launches at a young age. And then I got into electric airplanes for a while, and then I kind of got back into space. What were you doing with electric airplanes? So I worked for a couple years at a company that was called Kitty Hawk at the time and is now Whisk building essentially flying cars. Cool. And has, has any of that sort of transferred into your research? I think that the interest in complicated control systems kind of led me to my research, but in terms of what I was doing for them, I was on the embedded systems team and doing programming and software testing and all of that is super relevant to robotics. And could you tell us a little bit about what your research is currently? Right now I'm working on a mobile manipulation platform called ReachBot. ReachBot is this platform that uses rollable extendable booms for both mobility and manipulation. So these booms, you can kind of think of them as a measuring tape where they can extend out really long, but then also roll up into a very compact structure. And when they're extended, they kind of roll into a tube And so they're fairly rigid in in many directions and also really strong in tension. So we can use this to apply large forces onto the environment, which is helpful in a lot of different situations. So ReachBot kind of came out of a need for a manipulation and mobility robot in a bunch of different environments where gravity doesn't really help you. So for example, we've looked at on the space station, if you have robots that are going to help with maintenance, they need to be able to, for example, tighten the wrench or pull an object that's Velcroed onto the wall off of the wall. And then we've also looked at low gravity bodies like asteroids or comets, where you don't really have enough gravity to use, you know, a traditional rolling rover for mobility. And so you need to be able to anchor onto walls and then kind of like extending and increasing gravity. We've been looking more, most recently at planetary bodies, so like caves on the moon or cliffs and caves on Mars, where the, there's a planetary gravity there, but you also want to look at surfaces and explore surfaces that are maybe overhanging or roofs or, you know, these caves have all of these interesting geometries. And so you might need a robot that can like anchor onto surfaces to kind of climb around those environments. 
So these these reachable booms, they're kind of like limbs. How many does each robot typically? So before I answer that question, just a disclaimer, this robot is like pretty early stages. And right now we have a planar version that has four arms. And so it has, you know, full degree of freedom within the plane. And then we've talked about for 3D, we would probably need seven arms to still like be able to hold yourself in a well-controlled position and then also like reach out, re-grasp your extra arm and then move forward. But that question also depends on like, you know, what are the degrees of freedom in your shoulder joints? You know, do you have, are there like passive degrees of freedom and active? And so that's, that's kind of like, we're still looking at, you know, how many arms and where they would be on a robot. Awesome. And what's, what's sort of the advantage of using this mobility tactic versus other ways of doing this, like maybe shooting air in one direction to go the other way or like having suction cups or like other options? Yeah, so there are a ton of other options that, you know, depending on what application you're looking at, you mentioned using like air, using thrusters, which is um, a paradigm that they're talking about a lot for the space station. For example, my our, our lab has also done research with the Astro B platform, which has little thrusters to like fly around. It's this free flying robot. So it has this like very precise mobility in a low gravity or micro gravity environment. And the issue with that is that your thrusters are also the only way to get uh, a forceful interaction. And so, like I said before, you know, if you're trying to pull a Velcroed object off of the wall, then pushing these thrusters at it is is not going to be a good way to do that and yeah and and also the flying robots tend to be a bit smaller and so they're not going to have like a long arm that you can use to like reach a target that's maybe far away from where you can perch so even if even if you can perch on the wall and kind of like use that to brace yourself you're still going to have pretty limited reach yeah and then so other other robots that are available for you know for example climbing around caves they tend to have articulated arms or they're wheeled robots which like i mentioned might not be able to get these like underhanging surfaces and as far as articulated arm robots go the one that we've been looking at for comparison is lemur which is kind of like state-of-the-art in like cave climbing rock climbing robots and it has several articulated arms and it can it can hit those overhanging surfaces but the the issue that we saw with lemur is that it still has this like limited workspace and so if you get onto a rock wall and it's like pretty consistent rocks and there's like always a place to grab then lemur is going to be great but when you're looking at caves on the moon or caves on mars like we don't really know what those environments are going to look like but we do know what caves on earth look like and there are giant rocks everywhere and there are like cracks in the wall. And so you might have these obstacles to work over or around. And so in that case, you might need like a longer reach to be able to go around obstacles like that. I see. Could the, could the, the boom arms also function as legs in like a more standard, like say it needs to walk through a hallway. Could it also do that? Yeah, that hopefully so that's that's also something that we're looking at like there are a bunch of different ways that this platform can move through space and that's like one of the coolest things about it is that it can be very versatile so for example in the space station you know if you want to walk down a hallway or in like a regular hallway on earth you know you can grab onto two walls on the side and the ceiling and the floor 
and then you can have all of your brooms in tension and have this like really stable configuration just using like the concavity of the space that you're in as far as like a lava tube or a cave on another planetary body that might be like too big to fully span it we're looking at maybe having a tether which you know a tether up to a mother rover on the surface something like that that would be necessary for communications and for power because you're underground somewhere but also it provides that like upward force so that you can kind of keep the whole system in tension because that's where the booms are strongest that being said we are also going to look at you know how strong these booms are in compression because if we if it's strong enough to do that then like yes you can now just use them as legs and walk around but in terms of like the different booms that we've looked at, there's such a wide range of their structural properties. Like we, the prototype that we built literally uses measuring tapes and it's, they're pretty strong in tension, but as soon as you try to push on a measuring tape, it's going to buckle. And then we're also working on a prototype that uses these roller tube structures, which are made for deploying antenna in the military. And those are like way beefier than anything that would get sent to space, but like they have super strong compression so you know somewhere in that range is going to determine what capabilities the robot has how do you decide when you're going about like sort of making the first prototype of a project where do you look for inspiration and what materials to use like how do you, how did you end up trying measuring tapes we looked for the easiest thing to do we wanted to get a quick prototype going especially for so this the reachbot project right now is being funded by NIAC uh, which is NASA innovative advanced concepts and if you don't know what that is it's essentially funding for people to pursue their like sci-fi fantasies and so you get like all of these brilliant people that are trying to prove things are feasible that like might just be completely impossible and so this goal is like or this this Grant is very low level and very much like try to get a proof of concept. Tapes are, they're cheap, they're easy to come by. They, they're small enough to like fit on a little shoulder that can pivot with a servo pretty easily. And so it was just by far the easiest thing. We contacted a company that makes these deployable tube structures for like space missions. Uh, this company is called Rocor. They do a couple different things that have like already flown, but we didn't really need a space grade boom. And so we, we looked for something that was just easier and smaller and that we could play with like right away. That's awesome. So I'm picturing, cause you mentioned earlier that they'd be perching. So I'm picturing that the ends of ReachBot would be kind of like little clasping claws. Is that sort of what you're picturing too? Or would there need to be more complex? Like what, to what sort of dexterity do you anticipate for the manipulation aspect of it? Yeah, so the the dexterity comes from I think the the number of booms and the fact that, you know, because they have such a long reach, then we kind of have like lots of different body stances to choose from, right? Because you have like a much larger set of anchor points to choose from and so you can like be in different configurations even if you're just like pulling, you know, straight along the axis of the boom because again that's how it's strongest. You could like kind of configure the body of the robot and all the booms to like get the angle but in terms of the end effector that's actually another like big focus of study that uh we're working on and we work with mark kakowski's lab is the bdml at stanford they do uh a lot of bio bio inspired manipulation designs and grasping solutions and so we've been working with them a lot 
to build the end effector. And so what we what we have right now on our prototype is it's kind of like the micro spines that like Lemur and some other robots have used on rocks, but it's much lighter weight because we're trying to put it on the end of this skinnier boom and we're grasping lava rock. So it's essentially this like passively triggered gripper that we can like remote ungrasp the surface that we're grasping. But we reach out and then it like grabs onto the rock and then there's we're using these like leather sewing needles that are made for leather, so like beefy sewing needles on like individual springs. And so it kind of like fits the contours um, of volcanic rock, which is very bumpy. Would the sewing needle actually enter the rock? It doesn't, it doesn't pierce it. If you've ever seen like a volcanic rock, there are like all these little holes and cavities. And so it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. And so there's like all these different irregularities that the, the needles can just like find and hold on to. And then they're very strong in tension. But that's that's also, you know, just one end effector for one application and like ReachBot as a whole, you know, for example, if we were going to put it on a space station, we would probably want something like the Gecko inspired adhesive end effectors, which the BDML has also worked on a bunch for grasping onto flat surfaces instead of like this volcanic rock. I see. So um, going off of that, for different tasks, you'd want different end effectors in terms of like the sensor suite or the compute capability or what else, whatever else, whatever instruments there are, that sort of thing. Will, will those aspects of the robot also change task to task? And have you started thinking about those things? Absolutely. They would change task to task. We've thought about them a bit. So we're also, also included in this NIAC grant, assistant professor, Matthew Laput, who is in the geological sciences department. And he is our like resident planetary expert. So we've been talking to him a lot about like Mars missions and, you know, what science we would want to do and what instruments we would be looking at and things like that. And so in terms of, you know, a planetary mission, we would want probably some remote sensing capabilities, um, things like IR cameras and like multispectral cameras, maybe spectrometers to like assess mineralogy. And the, one of the other cool things about ReachBot that I haven't mentioned yet is that we have the opportunity to put these like remote sensors on the end of the booms with the end effector. And that's like another big advantage that we have over other robotic platforms is that, for example, if there is crack that a robot is not going to be able to get into, we can just like stick a sensor down there. And there's, there's some amount of evidence that like, if there are going to be like, like signs of life or biological substances at all, like they might be in those little cracks. So that's like an important scientific goal. And then also separately, you know, if we're trying to get like a whole stratigraphy image of like a cliff wall, for example, you also want to know what the context of all the measurements that you're getting. So putting these like remote sensing things on the end of booms, you can kind of like reach out your arm and take a picture of the entire wall, you know, figure out the context of each individual measurement. And so that's remote sensing. And then on top of that, you know, if we're going to be in a cave, we might want to put like a drill on the robot and a sample cache so we could do like some kind of sample return, something like that. I'm picturing like a robot made entirely out of selfie sticks, taking pictures in every direction. It didn't occur to me till right now that that's a robot taking a selfie. So if the different booms have different, like if you want to say have a camera on one and a drill on another, do you have to sacrifice using those limbs for mobility or 
is there some way to have like the end effector be switched out in the middle of a mission? I don't know how you would switch out the end effector. Um, but again, depending on the structural properties of the booms, it might be feasible to just put two things on the end. And that's, you know, the, the main reason that we're working on like such lightweight grasping strategies is so that we can have like less weight on the end of the boom. And then also, you know, all of the sensors that we might use have been worked on for like years and years and years by NASA to make them like extra lightweight for space robotics. Um, so hopefully you'd just be able to put two things because I don't know how you would switch it out. And that might still be less weight overall than like adding extra booms just for sensors. So you mentioned you got into this from sort of a complex control systems avenue. What are what are the complexities of ReachBot in terms of control? And have you worked on other projects that had different ways of of approaching complex control problems? There is a lot of interesting problems with ReachBot, which is why I like it so much, I think. So you have, like, if you just have one boom, you know, you can like pivot it and reach it out. And that's like a fairly simple system. As soon as you have multiple booms, you know, you now have some number of motors on each boom times like seven. And so you have all of these degrees of freedom to work with. And that is in addition to like moving the robot around where you want it to go, you also have to think about the like internal forces. So for example, like I keep saying that these booms are much stronger in tension, and so we can kind of have this like internal tension at all times, keeping the system uh, more stable, more robust to disturbances. Actually, I had a quick follow-up question, if you don't mind. How do you implement that internal tension? So when we are designing the control for the system and modeling it in general, we actually look to a lot of existing work in dexterous manipulation, partially because Mark Kakasi that I mentioned is like a leading expert in dexterous manipulation. But essentially, we can model our robot a little bit like a dexterous hand if you inverted the whole thing. And this is hard to explain without drawing pictures, but I'm going to try. So when you have a dexterous manipulator, it is pushing into the object, and that's how it manipulates it, right? And so you have these contact forces that are all unisense contacts, which means that they should all be only pushing in on the object, otherwise you lose that contact. Um, and so this modeling of internal forces is a common thing in dexterous manipulation because that's how you get this object to like move around and that's how you get like a good grasp on it, right? It's like, if you're pushing in from opposite sides, then it's not gonna go anywhere. And so ReachBot in a concave environment is kind of the same where it's like reaching out and then pulling on all of the walls around it. So we have, essentially like the same unisense constraints, except that we are now pulling on the surface around us and then manipulating that. And if you manipulate the environment with respect to yourself, then you also start moving. Yeah, but in terms of modeling like the internal forces and everything, we're just using this dexterous manipulation work that's been done for years. What's actually actuating the booms to pull them inward, to like apply that tension? Yeah, so that is going to depend on like what the booms are made out of like for example with our prototype that uses measuring tapes we have a separate winch that's attached to the end effector and just reels it all in and the reason that we do that is because the measuring tapes that we bought off the shelf have a friction drive 
so as soon as you put any tension on them they start flipping but we just like ran a cable along the whole thing and then applied a winch and it it pulls it in i see cool so i do want to give you a chance if you'd like to talk about some other projects that you've been involved in yeah so when i first joined the lab i was on a project called the shapeshifter which was in in conjunction with jpl i was mostly working with people at jpl um and it was another NIAC project. And essentially the idea was that you have a bunch of modular quadcopters and you send them to Titan. And then you you have them be able to like link together in these different configurations to move on different surfaces and in different environments. Um, so obviously, you know, as separate quadcopters, they can fly around, which is great on its own. And then we were looking at, well, could they like link up and form a ball and then use the rotors to kind of like actuate the ball and get it to roll along the surface, thinking that that would be a more efficient means of mobility. You know, rolling versus flying tends to be more efficient. And then we were also looking at, I mean, we didn't really get into the detail of too many other mobility modes, but, you know, theoretically we could like stack them and then kind of use them as a torpedo to go through I was going to say the water, but the liquid methane that's on Titan. And then also having like so many robots, you know, we could form like a communication chain to go into a cave or something and then still like link data back up to the surface. So in the mode where they've sort of interlocked to create a ball, how, how do they do that? <laughs> so the prototype that we made had two. It wasn't quite a ball yet, but we essentially had two quadcopters and each one had this like half cylindrical shell. And then we had electromagnets that like latched them together to form a cylinder. And then it could roll like along that axis. And depending on, you know, the orientation that it was in, different rotors would like turn on or off to always be propelling it forward. Interesting. So it sounds a little bit like you work at the intersection of like complex modeling of systems and actually trying stuff and seeing what works. Which of those sort of appeals to you more? How do you feel that they're related? What do you think you want to do long term? That's a really good question. And I was hoping to have that figured out by the end of my PhD. So we'll see if I get there. I think that like the complex modeling of it makes it really fun and interesting like that's that's where I get I don't know really into it is like this is a this is a robot that like we've never seen anything this shape before so it's kind of like starting from zero like how are we going to control this how are we going to like even know what it's doing if you have like a bunch of quadcopters linked together and rolling around like how do you know which one's on top like it's a super complicated problem that other people haven't really done but that being said I just like for me personally if there's not something tangible, it I kind of lose track of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And so it's, while I'm not as much of a mechanically mechanically inclined person as I like to think I am, like that aspect of it is, is really important to me. Similarly, is it important to you to have like, to see that this goes somewhere or are you really focused in on these early stage, like exciting new, let's just see if it works type? I think that it's it's actually not as important to me to see that like these specific ideas go somewhere because 
I think that like to be honest most of them don't and that's one of the things that I love about like this NIAC program is that there's like I, I forget the exact number but like 20 or 30 phase one which is like TRL zero basically um, every year and most of them don't come to fruition most of them don't like fly to space or whatever it is that they're proposing but there's always like things that are learned and applied somewhere and that is that's so cool like the shapeshifter project we worked on it before the dragonfly mission was announced and you know they're probably i don't know if there was any like exact correlation but you can see that like all of these little early stage projects kind of like come together to like make this actual mission happen eventually and so i kind of like the beginning stages of that i can't i can't really say if i like this is only the second one that i've worked on and it's still pretty so maybe if it like turns into something or if i join a project that's a bit more advanced um then that could be really fun too but i honestly don't know <laughs> so you mentioned earlier in regards to these NIACs that it's kind of like seeing your science fantasy dreams become reality what are some things that you personally like that don't exist yet that you would love to see or try? So I am a rock climber and there's no accident that I'm working on a rock climbing robot for Mars and or the moon. And I, in general, I'm just, I'm so interested in like exploring mostly like all these other moons that have some crazy geology going on. I would love to see a robot like climb down the geysers of Enceladus or like we, we looked briefly at on Europa, there are these, there are these ice structures called penitentes that again, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist or a geologist by any means, but they're basically like ice spikes everywhere. And you know, having watched enough movies, I can imagine like a Spider-Man robot just like swinging between these things. Yeah, so I, I think that with how much robotics is developing right now, the ability to make, you know, quick decisions and maybe be like more independent from having someone with a joystick, you know, control a robot is it's getting to the point that like we're going to be able to have maybe dynamic systems that are completely autonomous, which would be really awesome. Or in general, just robots that are able to make these like complex decisions to go visit some worlds that are just like completely different from what we have here. I we're, we're running a little bit low on time. I just have one last question. Um, what do you see, you mentioned like the direction robotics is going. What do you see as sort of the trends in your specific field of these novel mobility concepts? Are there any identifiable things that like, oh, it seems like everyone's working on this right now? Yeah, I think that the the one thing that came to mind when you said that is the integration of machine learning into everything. Um, and you know, we, we can already see lots of ways that that would be useful for this project. For, for example, just like a, a quick example is that, you know, to detect where you might want to grasp something is probably going to be, you know, using a camera and using some kind of computer vision to like find good grasp points. And so I think I am also not an expert in machine learning, but it just seems like it's going to change the way that like change the things that we're able to do. 
Well, thanks for that insight. This has been really great. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. And that's the end of today's podcast. As always, simply go to robohub.org forward slash podcast for more. And if you enjoy our interviews and would like to support our small team of international volunteers, please go and check out our Patreon campaign, where you can support us from as little as a dollar a month. And we'll be back again in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Unconventional Space Robots with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.